Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Today it is Erev Shabbat, and it is also, uh, in fact, in some levels, it is Erev to Shabbat. Because tomorrow on Shabbat, there's no mourning whatsoever. We're not even allowed to show any sign of mourning. So as we mentioned before in the Halachot, it's important, person should know, you don't change into your Tisha B'Av shoes when Shabbat's almost over. You change into your Shabbat B'Av shoes, Chamovaya says the earliest is 20 minutes after sunset. Why? Because anything more than that is disrespecting the sanctity of Shabbat, where a person is supposed to be in a state of absolute uh, of minucha and, uh, and simcha. So, um, because it is, it is the last time we'll be able to talk about the Shabbat before we go into it, I just thought maybe to share with you something from the, uh, from the parasha, which I think is a little bit indicative of what it is that we're supposed to be doing on Tisha B'Av. We look at the Devarim, the last words of Moshe, and Moshe, he starts telling the Jewish people about all the various things that they've done all throughout the desert. We did this, and we went here, and we met Og, and we did this war. On the other side of the Jordan, Moshe begins explaining the Torah. And how does he explain the Torah? Moshe, what, would, what did he do? Be'er et Torah hazot lemor. He explained this Torah saying. Then you look at the next Pesukim, and you think, to, you think Moshe Rabbeinu is going to start talking about the Torah. However, what's fascinating is, what happens immediately after that? Hashem Elokeinu diber lenem He spoke to us in, uh, at Sinai saying, Rav lachem shevet baharazeh. Enough sitting at this mountain. Penu usu lachem Go to, to the, uh, the, the mountain of the Emirate. Ba'arava, ba'har, ba'shevela, ba'negev, b'chof ayam. Go to all these places, Eretz Kanaani, Valvanon, Adanahar, Gadonahar, Pirat. Everything that follows after this seems to be Moshe exhorting the Jewish people to go towards the land of Israel. Okay? What's fascinating is who would call that the Torah? Who would define this commandment to leave the mountain, the mountain of the Emori, and go to Eretz Israel? Who would define that? Be'eret Torah Azot. Now, of course, there are many interpretations of this, um, but I'd like to share with you one today, which I think is part and parcel of the idea of what it means to go into Tisha B'Av. And that is as follows. It is important for Am Yisrael to do one simple thing if they want to understand the hashkacha, the interaction that they have with God. And that is to look back at history. Moshe says to them, you want to understand what Torah, Hashem's Torah is? Remember where we've been. Remember the things that you did and remember the outcome of those things. You complained and then God gave you this and then what happened? What did you gain from those complaints? You thought things were going to go this way and then what happened? There's a very powerful line that always haunts me when I think about it, uh, when we talk about the, uh, the vidui. It says we did this wrong and we did that wrong and it wasn't worth it for us. We thought that if we did this thing that was wrong, you know, even if it's wrong, even if it's not the correct thing to do, but at least I'm going to benefit. At least at the end of it, I'll be happy that I did the other thing, that I did the wrong thing. Maybe I didn't do the misvah, but at least I'll be happy. The outcome will be good for me. Moshe says, let's look. What happened in the aftermath of the Egel? What happened in the aftermath of complaining for meat? 
You thought, you know what, you're compl- but at least you get me. People started dying, give it ta'ava. What happened when we complained when we went to this place? Uh, Rabotai, each time Am Yisrael forgets the lessons of the past, we become doomed to repeat them again. When our rabbis tell us every generation that the Beit HaMikdash was not uh, rebuilt in, it's as if it was destroyed then. The concept, what do you mean as if it was destroyed then? That's not the same thing. So as an example, I love giving this example because it, it sounds like it doesn't jive. Let's say someone uh, is playing with a ball in, the, in, uh, in their friend's house. I'm saying someone because, of course, this is not something that happened to me or anyone that I, ever, that I know ever. It's just a completely theoretical case. If you're playing ball with your friend in, in, your, in, in your friend's house and there's a priceless Ming vase sitting in the corner. And of course, this is a completely theoretical story. This has never happened to me or anyone that I know. But as the ball leaves your hands and it sails over the hands of your friend, you know, you see it heading towards the vase and in your brain, you shift into that slow motion. No, from the movies. And the ball smacks the vase directly on the top. And of course, theoretically, this vase tips over and shatters into a trillion pieces. And you could hear the collective groaning of the Chinese nation as yet another piece of the illustrious history crumbles to dust completely theoretically. That day, we, or others not related to us at all, destroyed a priceless vase. Would you say that every day after that, that we didn't put it back together, is as if we destroyed it again? No, once it was destroyed, you broke it. The claim is then and then that's it. But Rabotai, what we have to understand about that line is that with the Beta Mikdash, it's different. Because the Beta Mikdash is a living, breathing representation of Am Yisrael's connection with God. It happens to be housed in a building of bricks, of stones, of, of sticks. But it represents Am Yisrael's love and connection for God. And when that was gone, the Beit HaMikdash was gone as well. So therefore, it's not something that gets broken and then if you didn't fix it, you didn't fix it. It's not the same as breaking it again. It's the opposite. Every generation that doesn't physically, spiritually rebuild that connection, they're literally destroying the Beit HaMikdash with their hands. And to me, it's such a powerful idea because you know what it's like? It's like saying on Rosh Hashanah, you're, you're beating your breast, you say, Hashem, please forgive me for stealing. And as you say, please forgive me for stealing, you reach over to your neighbor's uh, private tissue stash, you grab a tissue and you go, <laughs> you blow your nose because you're so overcome with the idea of asking for forgiveness for not stealing. You're stealing while you're asking for forgiveness for not stealing. Like the Lashon of the Gemara, it's Tovel, He's dipping in the mikveh while he's holding on to a dead rat. The dead rat is poisonous. It's, uh, it brings tumat to a person. So while I'm in the mikveh to make myself pure again, I'm holding on to the thing which is impure. We're going to sit on the floor. We're going to mourn the Beit HaMikdash. And yet, it's in our hands to be able to rebuild it. It's in our hands to be able to do it again. So what will be, what will be the excuse for the chutzpah? of saying to God, we feel so terrible about the Beit HaMikdash's destruction when we have an active part in ensuring that it does not return. So Rabotai, 
Moshe Rabbeinu is telling them something unbelievable. Ho'il Moshe be'eret Torah zot lemor. Moshe said, I want to explain to you the Torah. What is the Torah? The Torah is getting up from Har HaEmori, traveling Ba'arava, Bahar, Ba'shifela, Ba'negev, traveling to the Eretz HaKenani, traveling to Eretz Yisrael, Ve'hal Levanon, says the Gemara, the Bet HaMikdash, Ena Levanon, Ella, what is Levanon? Ha'har HaZeh Ve'hal Levanon, says the Gemara, in Gitin, refers to the Bet HaMikdash. So God, Moshe says to them, I want you to understand, this is all of the Torah, traveling from a place of Hara Emori, living in the desert, from waging war against somebody, against the Emori, and going up to Eretzrael, and to rebuild this place, rebuild the Beit HaMikdash with a connection with God, going from a people that's literally fighting for Eretz Yisrael in a physical form, taking out their swords, their bows, their arrows, and forgetting that actually that war is not won on the battlefield uh, of the hands, but it is won on the battlefield of the heart and mind. Pinu useu. Why did Moshe need to tell them to turn and to travel? Moshe could have just said to them, Seu, travel to Eretz Israel, travel this way. But the point is that if they traveled without physically, without mentally turning from one mode to the other, then they would not be in the mindset to be able to enact, to bring all of that Torah to life, the connection between man and his maker. I heard an old friend of mine said something beautiful. His daughter came home from school one day. His name is Rabbi Tal. We were actually roommates in Eretz Israel. He said that his daughter came home and asked him once her first halachic question of her father as the rabbi. And what was the question she asked? She said to her father, Abba, am I allowed to do mitzvot on Shabbat? And the father says, what do you mean are you allowed to do? Of course. Not only are you allowed to do mitzvot on Shabbat, you even, uh, it's even extra special. Every mitzvah that a person does on Shabbat is double, tripled. The Ben Ishai says that every word of Torah that you learn on Shabbat is magnified a thousand times. So of course you're allowed to do mitzvot on Shabbat. Why would you think that you can't do a mitzvah on Shabbat? And the daughter looks at him with such beautiful, clear and innocent eyes. And she says, what do you mean? Because we learned in school that a person on Shabbat is not allowed to do any of the 39 melachot, of the 39 elements uh, of work on Shabbat, of creative work. He said, that's true. She said, so how could you do a mitzvah? He says, what do you mean? She said, because we also learned that every mitzvah that the Jewish people do is another brick in building the Beit HaMikdash. So every mitzvah I'm doing, I'm also building the Beit HaMikdash. Isn't building one of the things that you're not allowed to do on Shabbat? What a magnificent, innocent question. And we look at it and what do we say? Oh, it's so cute. So cute. She doesn't understand. She does understand. We don't understand. You see, this penu, this turning from a physical war to a spiritual war, this turning in mental capacity to recognize that all this time in the desert was one thing, but now is the time in Eretz Israel to own a new connection with Borei Olam. Not one of miracles, not one where the sky produces man, not one where you're surrounded by clouds, not one where water follows you around in a be'er, in a miraculous well, but one 
where you go to work every day, where you plant and you water and you fertilize and you bring the, you know, the, the, the crops in, where you go to work at the bank, where you drive a, you know, a truck or an Uber, where you have a regular life and where you're very busy. And if you're not busy with your parnasah, you know what's going to happen? You won't have food to put on the table. In such a natural life, is there place and is there space for God? Do we have space for Torah in our life? And I love the words of the Midrash. The, the words of the Midrash is in this place, Ho'il Moshe began be'er et Torah azot. He began to explain the Torah. Says Rashi on this, the famous Midrash, what did Moshe Rabbeinu do? Be'er, he taught the Torah. Bishiv'im lashon pirsha lahem. He taught the Torah to them in 70 languages. Rabotai, if ever there was something that was pointless, it was this teaching of the Torah in 70 languages. Now, I grew up in Lakewood, Cheder. We didn't have a religious school in Deal when I grew up. And I had to be shipped to Lakewood every day to be able to study in a religious school, in a separate school. So my parents sent me from the time I was five years old on a bus every day. We could sit on the bus sometimes for 45 minutes, an hour, until we got to school at the end of the route. You know what they used to teach us? Bereshit bara elokim. In the umfang, the ebish tohot bashafen. I'm sure nobody in this room knows what that means. In Yiddish, that means in the beginning God created. They taught us the pasuk in English. They taught us the pasuk in Yiddish. Now, for someone who's going to go to an Ashkenazi yeshiva for the rest of their life, that might be very important. For someone who is Syrian and who's going to live in the Syrian community and become a Syrian rabbi, maybe not as important. They taught me in a language which maybe towards the, in the fullness of time wasn't going to be as important for me. Rabotai, the Jewish people at this stage, where do they come from? They come from Egypt. What languages do they speak? They speak Hebrew and Egyptian. But Egypt was not, even though they lived there, it was not their mother tongue. As we know, what does it say the Jewish people in Egypt did not change? They didn't change their names. They didn't change their clothing. They didn't change their speech. That means that what's the mother tongue of all the Jewish people? The language of? Nobody speaks Persian. Nobody speaks Arabic. Nobody speaks Portuguese. Nobody speaks Spanish. What in the world is Moshe doing translating Torah into 70 languages at this moment for? Pointless. Maybe at some later stage, when they're going into Galut, Rabban Gamliel, the Chachmei, uh, you know, the people that were going to Yavna, all of those rabbis, they should have got together and said, no, they're going into Galut. We need to translate it into Babylonian. We need to translate it into, into the ancient Spanish because the people are going to go to Spain, into German because they're going to go to Ashkenaz at some later stage of the Galut. Why was Moshe Rabbeinu translating it into 70 languages now? Because penu usu lachem. I need you to understand, this Torah, it doesn't live in the Hechal, it doesn't live in the Yeshiva, it goes with you wherever you go. So let me prepare you from now that this Torah is going to travel with you wherever you go. Wherever you experience life, however you find, your, whatever experiences, situations you find yourself in, my Torah, Hashem says to Moshe, it's for that situation. There's never a situation, there's never a language that the Torah is not spoken in. Rabotai, this Tisha B'Av, we should be Zokhe Be'ezrat Hashem. 
every single person, wherever they may be, Be'ezat Hashem, we should find a way to be able not to spend the day, sleep in bed, so it's over faster. People say you should have an easy fast. That's such a bad language. The point of the fast was that it shouldn't be easy. What do you mean you have an easy fast? They even have pills. The pills are called Kaltzom, easy fast. I'm sure that that's not what the Chachamim had in mind. Here, Faddal, I eat these pills, and then you won't feel the fast, which is the whole point of having the fast. So Rabotai, instead of wishing you an easy fast, we're going to wish you a meaningful fast from 2 o'clock. We're going to have in here, we're going to have Chazak is putting on uh, a, 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 a plethora, a slew of rabbis that are going to be able to speak uh, to the points of the day, to inspire you, to make the fast worth it, so that you travel from a place in Manhattan on the Upper East Side, so that you travel on this day to Yerushalayim. So that wherever you might be listening it, whether it's going to be from the benches of the Safra Synagogue upstairs on 63rd Street, or it's going to be from your house in Deal, or in Brooklyn, or in Australia, or in Spain, or in England, wherever it might be that you're hearing this message from, Rabotai, I ask of you, penu us'u lachem, travel with us back to Israel. Travel with us back to the Kotel. Witness what we just saw this past week, where there's foxes roaming on Harabait. Like we say in Echa, we're going to say it tonight. Uh, we're going to say, excuse me, Motei Shabbat, Shu'alim Ilchuba, where there's foxes running. Where Rabbi Akiva says, if that's happening and the curse is taking place of the Navi, then I know also that the Yeshua of the Navi is also going to come. May it come speedily in our days. And not only may it come speedily in our days while we are watching, but may God bless us that we should also be uh, part of the crew that was Zohar to, with our thoughts and with our actions, be the ones that brought Mashiach to our doorstep. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.